like to welcome everybody to our latest edition of Bring a Hacker to Work Day, um, where we talk with people who are in the industry that are in various um, areas of cybersecurity and hacking and, you know, what it is that they do, how do they get there, things of that nature. Um, our guest today is a doctor, officially Dr. Tessa Cole. Um, Tessa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I just graduated or got my... Um passed my final defense um, from Georgia State University uh, in their criminology and criminal justice program. Um, my focus is on cybercrime. Um, for my dissertation, I focused on offenders uh, decision-making processes, but I really enjoy um, researching uh, the victim aspect online uh, when it comes to like cyber victimization. Um, I am originally a Tennessee native, uh, go big orange. <laughs> um, and, uh, I have a daughter, um, and a husband, um, and I come from a very large family. Um, I'm one of 28 siblings. So, um, Woo! yeah, my parents had two by birth and, uh, then they adopted the rest of us. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah absolutely amazing so what, what did you go to school for um so I started off um when I graduated high school I thought I wanted to be an attorney um no diss to my husband because he's almost finished with law school but um I realized in undergrad that was not for me um I uh received my bachelor's of science in political science um and then um I had a really influential um mentor at Berry College who was like you ought to go into research because you're always asking why um and so uh he encouraged me to apply for a couple um different programs and uh, the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga was one of them um in their uh, criminal justice uh, department because I've always been very geared towards um right is right and wrong is wrong <laughs> um and so I um got accepted into UTC's program. And originally I thought I wanted to focus on inmate mental health. Um, I worked as a correctional officer for a little bit um, because I'm wow. one of those people that believe if you wanna change things, you also need to be on the ground um, to be able to understand um, like what exactly you're working with um, and like the demographics of the individuals um, that you're serving. So, um, as a correctional officer, I quickly realized that that was not for me. Um, <laughs> and on one of my random days off from not um, going to school and working, I uh, watched this documentary called I Am Jane Doe. And I fell in love with cybercrime. Sorry, my husband is. Um, <laughs> no worries. We live in a small tight area, but um, I uh, fell in love with um, cybercrime cyber victimization. And so it completely changed the tra trajectory of my research focus. Um, I went from, like I said, you know, um, mental health um, focus with uh, criminology um, into um, the cyber laws, how that affects victims. Um, and um, on down to like uh, the statutes with like um, section 230 of the Communications Decency act um so um which is another fun fact my husband and i have a um journal article that was been has been accepted for um publication that's being reviewed right now so he did the legal aspect and i was more of the researcher but we went through and looked at the state statute state statutes which was like a extension of my um, thesis um, from my master's, but I wanted to see what states actually use those statutes. So yeah, it's great if you have cyber crime laws in place, but is, any, is anyone using them? And if they're not, then we're not really helping victims, right? Um, and I've done uh, similar um, analyses to um, looking at like uh, Georgia's state statutes when it comes to cyber bullying. And you can have a state statute like Georgia has with cyberbullying, um, but it's never been used. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's that's how I ended up focused on cyber crime, cyber victimization. Mm -hmm. And then um, more recently, you know, with COVID um, and how everyone's interacting more online, um, 
I, when I started my PhD, I um, was like, I would really like to have some fun money uh, so my husband and I can go on dates. And so I started applying for like babysitting jobs online. Um, and one of the first opportunities I had was a scam. And so then I sort of got angry and I was like, all right, let's go. And that's when I got into like the offenders decision-making processes when it comes to who do they target? How do they target? What are the linguistics that they use um, to target people? Um, in addition to like the, the tactics, are we just looking at like phishing scams, um, uh, Bitcoin? Um, so yeah, that's that's the, sorry, sort of a long story of how I got into cyber, but yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> awesome. So when you're taking a look at the, the reasons for why, um, you know, some of these uh, fraudsters do what they do. Do you have like a target um, victim group that you work with? Like, are you focused on, you know, specifically kids or specifically, um, I think I saw some of your research for job seekers or what, is, what does that look like? So um, because I was irritated with fraudsters when it came to employment um, at the beginning of my PhD, I started off with um, focusing on like job seekers and how they may be victimized by offenders. Um, but I, my research is really broad when it comes to victimization online. So I, um, I, um, for my, um, masters, I looked at, um, revenge porn or non-consensual, uh, porn distribution. Um, and so it, it just, it sort of varies, um, on, what the like where um what is currently happening um like you know if you during covid we saw a lot of like um scams with like the uh, refunds or not the refunds but the um the PPPs. Uh, yes 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 um so um i was able to find with my dissertation a lot of uh, groups forms online where these individuals were either teaching each other hacking, um, selling the products they had stolen from um, non-offending victims, um, or also uh, defrauding each other. And so my dissertation really focused on how offenders defraud each other. Um, because if you think about it, if we're gonna study the best of the best, shouldn't we be studying those who are involved in criminality with each other. So um, yeah, it, I mean, it ebbs and flows, but for the most part, um, it's focused on how the internet or how offenders are using the different capabilities of the internet to uh, victimize their targets, whether that be other offenders or non-offending vic victims, like hopefully you and I and all of us on this call are not offending. So <laughs> and it's always hope to always change, right? <laughs> so. So, so what did your research say? You know, I, I think all of us either now or at some point in the you know, recent history or future are going to be looking for jobs, right? When it comes to our job search, what do we need to be on the lookout? Like, what did, what did your research, um, I guess, point towards um, as far as like people who are looking for jobs in, in the cyberspace? Yeah, so I um, analyzed offenders, like unique offenders. And then I also analyzed like fraud instances because you could have like multiple different instances, but it'd be the same fraudster, right? And so I wanted to make sure that I was picking up um, that it wasn't just like, I'm saying, oh, this one fraudster is because this one fraudster behaves this way. Every single fraudster behaves that way, which isn't true. We know that like, um, so because of that, I, when I was looking at the, the research, what appears the most to me, and I know it, it is a smaller sample size, um, but I am one person <laughs> and one person, it's very difficult to pretend to be multiple different people. And I was pretending to be eight people uh, for a period of 12 weeks. So yeah, to try to keep up with that and texting friends and stuff was kind of, is overwhelming, but um, cues of politeness um, when you're corresponding with an employer were very, that was statistically significant when a fraudster or fraud instance was okay. being deployed against a, against me slash, you know, my fake profiles. In addition to that, fraudsters um, used, it was statistically significant for them to use um, phishing and smishing attacks. And then it, they were really, really big into um, personal information. So whether that be social security 
um, number, um, and even sometimes like asking for pictures of driver's license, anything that they can get their hands on, uh, because most of them are pretty prolific in their scams. And so they can't cash out all the money that they defraud from people. So they have to use other individuals credentials to do so. And so, um, I would encourage you not to any, I mean, and I find myself too, oftentimes being like, Hey, click, click, let's, you know, apply for this job, apply for that one. But you have to be very careful not to give too much information away about yourself before you've even had, you know, a face-to-face conversation with, um, with the potential employer, stay away from personal information, sharing that, because oftentimes that's one of the first things they're going to ask for. And then, um, cues of urgency, I found it kind of interesting because cues of urgency were not statistically significant in my study when it came to like all around the fraud instances. And um, I, I would like to do more research into why that is uh, because typically, you know, you receive a phishing email and it's like, oh, you have two hours to claim your prize, but perhaps, and this is just me like guessing, okay. <laughs> um, more research needs to be done into this, but um, perhaps they know, offenders know that job seekers aren't going to just jump at the first opportunity because they're applying for multiple, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket because we all know is when we go to you know pursue a job, just because we make it onto the next round doesn't mean that that job is going to be offered to us. So that could be one of the reasons why um, cues of urgency weren't uh, significant. But um, yeah, just the way that the individual communicates with you, I would say that uh, grammar errors <laughs> uh, would be significant, but they really aren't. And I think that goes back to like our humanistic side. Um, the best fraudster could communicate with the best grammar ever, right? And I, I'll say I am not, um, even though I am a researcher and I just, you know, defended my dissertation, grammar is something that I've always struggled with um, my whole entire life. Um, and so just because there's a job posting that doesn't appear um, sophisticated in language, um, that doesn't mean that that's fraudulent or vice versa. So um, yeah. So, so when we're taught to about social engineering and we're taught to, you know, be on the lookout for things like, you know, phishing or, um, you know, smishing type attacks, right? One of the first things we're told to look at is the grammar, right? To look at things like the punctuation. But it sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, when you're, when these folks would put up, for example, job placement ads that said, you know, hey, you know, this I'm, I'm hiring for this fake job. You know, it didn't necessarily, you know, raise any flags just from a, I guess, a linguistic uh, perspective. Like it didn't, you know, nothing popped out like in Grammarly that says, hey, this is obviously, you know, not a real job ad. This is, you know, a fake one. Right. No, and that is, and I I manually went through and um, coded for that. And then I also used like in vivo to pick up to see if there was any type of um, like, anything I was missing. And I will say um, for one of my dissertation chapters, I did, I completed a scoping review, looking at all prior research and how they, how those researchers looked at um, linguistic cues, grammar, and everything came back the same as it doesn't matter how horrible the grammar was. It mattered how well the offender was able to socially engineer their target and to buying in to to their scam. So yeah, you're exactly right. Um, so, so what are these, where are these, uh, I guess, fraudulent like job as where are they located at? Like, I mean, are they on like Indeed or like your monsters or your like glass doors or, you know, are they on like, you know, more, I guess, shadier types, types of sites, you know, like home work from home you know dot org or something I, I made that up in case that's a real thing so like I'm not coming for anybody but <laughs> <laughs> well I conducted my uh, study on monster and indeed and that's where all of the fraudulent ads um I that were presented to my personas um uh, were found but I did um like you know as you know time goes on and more um, databases are created for jobs 
Um, I know that there's like a new one. I want to uh, not, I would say hookups, but I know, no, it's not hookups. It's um, handshake, like for um, like college kids, you know? Um, so I think that offenders are going to just keep, they keep up with the times, right? So like um, if you go online, you can find um, websites where you can buy, and this is on the clear web, websites where you can buy uh, student emails, right? So if you can buy a student email. Do you not think that you can create an account on Handshake and target other students, you know? So, um, I mean, I don't think that offenders are going to stop pursuing employment scams um, nor do I think that they're going to stop you know pursuing romance scams but their tactics are going to change so maybe it's not fishing a year from now that becomes a, a bigger issue maybe it's sextortion scams right but it is all using technology to meet your end which is financial monetary gain <laughs> mm -hmm. Them. So, so is the takeaway from that, that, you know, we shouldn't trust jobs that are on, you know, monster and, or, you know, the, the places that you took a look at, or what, 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 what should be our, I guess, our takeaway from um, what you've seen for people who are trying to take advantage of people who are applying for jobs, right? Because, you know, if we think about what we would typically do, you know, we would go to monster, we'd see a job that we think looks good, we'd apply you know, they're saying, you know, hey, put your uh, email address in here and put your resume in here, right, which are fair games, but they might go further during the application process and say, you know, hey, give me your social security number or, you know, I need to make sure it's you, so could you send me a copy of your driver's license, you know, wh what should we expect during the application process and what should raise, I guess, kind of some, some red flags for us? So what I um, also did in this study is every single job that I applied for with the fake of persona, I would look them up on BBB to the Better Beer, um, um, see, also check out all their social media. I would go to their websites. So it's doing your due diligence and I'm not victim blaming at all here, but doing your due diligence to see like, is this organization, company, legitimate based off of other people like what other people are saying about them how long have they been in business um and a lot of times um you have to like um uh, i always think of um you know liquor license right so you have to like apply for a liquor license can you find the license if you're an accountant for the company that's offer offering these you know this job on indeed so i don't think it's i think there, there this is a twofold i think it's Checking to make sure that the company that you are applying for is legitimate, which means that you can't just go through and click a bunch of jobs. And I would also warn against just uploading your application because recently um, I've discovered, and this is exactly what I did in order to create my fake personas online, was I went to see other applicants that are applying for, say, like a nannying job, right? Because you can search, you know, like what all these other applicants applying for nannying jobs and see their resumes and build a resume based off of that. And so that may be another way too that offenders are socially engineering you. So if they know that you worked for a family for 10 years, they might come in um, and like uh, socially engineer the way they speak to you about, oh, we value family. We want you to be a part of a, you know, you know, we uh, will have trips that we go on to get you to believe them um, or like appeal to like that part of your characteristic, you know. Um, but um, so there's that. And then the other aspect, and I always go after um, the bigger companies for this, but I truly believe that there needs to be more accountability um for websites i understand that you can't control everything that happens on your website but when a job ad has been up for 30 days and it's clearly fraudulent and other people can still apply for it maybe monster and indeed and linkedin and all those different companies should be held liable for all those people that lose their access to those accounts whether or not they've been hacked or their social security number um, <laughs> so um, you mentioned the 
the sock puppets, the, you know, the eight accounts that you created to basically create, I guess, fake job profiles on these websites. Like, are you saying that we need to um, socially engineer or, you know, basically do recon and, and OSINT on the jobs that we're applying for? It's not just as simple as just, you know, applying for jobs at this point. Is that, is that what the job search looks like in 2022? I mean, I think so personally. And if you think about it too, like when I, um, was like um, applying for um, one um, an example. I applied for a governmental job, right? I had a connection with somebody that works there. So I sent her my resume. She looked over it and said, based off of this, this is what I think you should change. And here's some examples of people that applied for the same job. So, I mean, if you think about it, yeah. I mean, it happens even if it's not like online, we're constantly doing it. So yeah, I think that for sure, um, that's something that we need to need to be doing. Okay, um, and, and then so as, as far as you being a, a researcher, um, what was your experience like, um, you know, I guess just not just being a woman that's that's doing research in this, but also being a black woman. Um, what, what was that like for you? You know, would you recommend that, you know, people who are interested in, in asking the whys um, go in and do, you know, research and get a PhD and go through the process? Um, <laughs> I, it might be a little too much of a fresh question <laughs> based off of my, <laughs> um, I always hear that you, you're never supposed to ask somebody that's in a PhD program, whether or not they recommend it, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because, uh, I, um, it was a struggle, um, but I will say, um, it's not because I wasn't smart enough and it's not because, um, women of color, people of color, um, women in general, aren't smart enough. If anything, I think that we're, um, more, um, keen and aware of, uh, the, like the socially, uh, socially engineered tactics that people are presenting because we have to pay attention to um, social norms even more than I would say like our white male counterparts. Um, and my husband is a white male. So, I mean, he, he agrees um, with me, especially after seeing my experience. Um, it's not in, it should never be where a black woman like me has to prove herself two or three times more than my white counterpart. And I feel like currently in this field, that is something that I'm up against. Um, having to justify myself when I have the credentials is like completely insane to me. Like I shouldn't have to explain like, cause I do, I do a lot of, um, or especially more recently, I've done a lot of pen testing. Um, I shouldn't have to explain how I, and that's not me being arrogant. It's me being confident in my ability to, to do it. And also watching other people do it like me and you not asking them questions about the things that they weren't able to find that I was able to find. So it's just, um, so I guess there are, there's a need for more of us in this, this space. Um, but it's not going to be easy. Nothing is easy. Um, I, the last month of my dissertation, I just kept coming back to Ruby, Ruby Bridges, um, and how, like, there's a quote that she says, like the path, um, you have to like start your own path. Right. Um, sometimes it's just you having to go and, um, it's so that other people behind you, um, can have an easier time easier time <laughs> in loose quotations um but also um so that you can further the field so offenders aren't continuing to get away with stuff because you know i could sit here all day and just be like woe is me but if i do that then i'm not helping somebody else that is probably going to be victimized online because we see that crime the dark figure of crime in my opinion is crimes decreasing the physical world because it's increasing online but so I, I do encourage research. I think that it's great. I love answering the whys. Um, that's one thing um, I think I'm going to miss in teaching because um, I have taught, um, uh, I started teaching at UTC uh, as part of my assistantship. So I, I really, I do enjoy teaching. I enjoy um, 
students, especially students that are like, why? Um, but um, so I think that there's a need for that, uh, but it is going to be a challenge and I'm not gonna lie about that challenge. So when you look around um, in your department uh, and not just, I guess, at, at your school specifically, but like, you know, in the, you know, the PhD folks that you've, you, you're, you're, um, you've associated with, do you see a lot of black women or women, I guess, period in that space? Or is it even in the research space, it's still like, you know, I think we see like the 25, 24% women you know, 75% men type of uh, demographic. Is, is that what it looks like in the, in the research space as well? Yeah, it, it really does. Um, and um, I think it makes it harder too um, because when you don't, let me, let me back up. When I first started looking at PhD programs to apply for, um, I called around and I was like, hey, can I come visit, you know, your department? So I visited every place I applied for. Um, one of the places I applied for, um, she had only seen, like heard my voice and see, uh, we communicated um, like online, but she'd never seen a picture of me. Okay. Did you, did you see me like immediately get upset because like, I, I know where this is going. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> this is a top research program. It's not the one that I graduated from, but I taught like one that people were, I think, disappointed I didn't go to, but my husband at the time, he's my fiance. We walk in. And I was like, oh, I'm here, you know, for the interview and, you know, to get a, a view of the campus. She looked up at me and she said, oh, no, I'm waiting for Tessa. It's like, I am, I am Tessa. And then um, it was, it just, it was, uh, as the day went on, it just got worse and worse. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, we had a, a meeting with the only other faculty member that was uh, of color. And he was Sorry, I'm trying to avoid getting away where, where it was, but this person said um, to address the elephant in the room and then went on for 45 minutes about color at the university. Wow. And then when I met, let me back up a little bit for, for lunch, when I took a break for lunch, uh, the only other uh, graduate student that they had um, was a, a, a woman of color and she um, nicely encouraged me to go elsewhere <laughs> which is which is crazy but you know honestly I I feel like your experience both in terms of um you know the social and gender imbalance and racial imbalance um that you're you're, you're we're hearing about is the same in the workforce um and I think also the feeling that you have to work you know two or three times harder than everybody else just to be able to prove yourself um, you know, especially when you're operating in a, in, a, in a technical space. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, not to discourage you, but I don't think it's going to get any better, you know, once you're on the other side of the, you know, the education um, space, unfortunately, because I, I think that that's just something that, you know, goes to speak to the, the experience of women, especially, you know, women of color that are operating in, in this space. So I'm sorry that that, you know, that that, that happened to you. Um, what has your experience been like as far as the the research itself like you know have you found that you know it's rewarding to you like any regrets like if you had it all to do over again would you you know go back and do your phd program or would you do anything different um no i don't i don't have many regrets about like what i've chosen to study i love it um and i mean i think it's just because i have like a like a really, like a big pull towards like helping victims. Uh, and there is something fun about like um, screwing with offenders a little bit, if you follow what I'm saying, you know, like I love the, like um, my mom, unfortunately was um, hacked and the whole ransomware thing um, about nine months ago. And so like, I've had to help her with that, but I will say that it, it was a horrible experience, obviously, for her and for me, like trying to help her navigate all that. But it was fun to be able to sit there with her and not get back, but at least waste their time from trying to like victimize other people. And it was, and I think it was a bonding experience too, because every so often she'll like send me like um, uh, videos or whatever that she finds online of people doing, you know, similar what we did you know, to them, she's like, oh, look how, you know, they did the same thing. And so, um, but no, I, I don't, I don't, I, I would not change my research path 
Um, if anything, I probably would have um, honed in more on the victim aspect more than I do the offender, but I understand and I'm glad for my offender like focus with my dissertation because ultimately if we're not going after how offenders operate, we can teach people and be reactive all the time, but let's stop being so reactive when there's things that we can change to be proactive and stop some of this victimization. And again, I'm right back at section 230. I think if you start making people be more um, responsible, take guardianship, you know, um, then we'll see a change. But then again, that also requires big tech, which big, big tech, they're more interested in my opinion and in my experience, um, selling you ransomware protection versus stopping it from it beginning. Yeah, the root of why it happens yeah. in the first and, place. Yeah, and you knew this was a problem six months ago, that sort of thing, so. Yeah, so so what do you think that it looks like if we, you know, if we get more um, women in this space, we get more people of color, we get more diversity um, in this space, um, you know, I, I tell people all the time that um, I think it's very important that we attack this problem of diversity um, in the cyberspace from a, a much younger level so that we have time to get people to go and do PhD programs, right? So that we're not, you know, at, you know, however, whatever age we decide that we want to kind of transition into to cybersecurity, you know, attempting to do a PhD program and, you know, pushing, of course, our impact further out. What do you think that it looks like if we get the diversity into the space? What are some of the things that you'd like for us to see um, that you think that we can improve um, as far as online safety? Um, just, I guess, from the em employment standpoint, and then also from like just the, you know, not becoming victims ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think um, there's, I mean, obviously there's a lot of benefits. One of them is kids and I feel, I feel old saying this, like kids nowadays, but I mean, kids nowadays are typically, they're more um, up to date with like, you know, what's popular, what's not, that sort of thing. And so by targeting the younger demographics, I think that we'd be able to pick up on the new trends quicker, right? Um, so like when, um, when COVID hit, um, I, Nick Nick said, you know, there was an increase on cyber, um, like sextortion, right? With, with these kids, but most of the sextortion isn't coming from, or from my understanding of it, isn't coming from um, like kids extorting other kids, which that was a problem, but you have like, you know, the Nigerian scammers who they're not going to be penalized for what they're doing really much in their country because sometimes when a country's corrupt, you know, you get into like, you know, the whole like if your country's corrupt, are they going to come after you for being corrupt? You know, the, the ideology type stuff, right? But you yeah. have these Nigerian scammers who are, you know, picking up on this. Well, if we had included kids on the conversation or in the conversation of, hey, what are you seeing that's happening that's drastically changed? I bet that the numbers of kids that were sextorted would have dropped online if we were able to like have that kind of conversation. But we have to be willing to have conversations with those younger than us humble ourselves and say maybe we don't know everything maybe we are 10 years behind in research and i think it's a big problem in research is that the peer-reviewed process i get it like it needs to be there so that you make sure that things are just not being published that are just absolutely crazy right um at the same time it is ridiculous for a researcher to research something for a year and then for it to sit online for two to three years by that time, the research that you have published is probably out of date, especially when it comes to cyber, um, cyber um, like attacks and mm -hmm. characteristics and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think. Does, go ahead. Does that devalue the, the 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 research, right? Because you know, obviously, it takes you some time. So let's say it takes you a year to do your research, right? And then you publish it, right? And then it's got a, a shelf life of about a year, right? Like, are we talking about like a continual feedback loop to update the research or, you know, like what what, what would you advise, right? Because we, we think about that in terms of technology as well, right? We develop technology, it only works for about, you know, a year or so, and then it becomes obsolete and we've got to get new technology. So, you know, what, what do you, what would you recommend for that? Like, how do we address, you know, the, 
having information that's current and relevant. Um, I think that the, like, I mean, like you said, the shelf life, it needs to be cut in half. If you can't read the research, I think that somebody like within that journal could say, hey, we're inundated, send it somewhere else. Um, that, and um, there needs to be more of an open, um, um, open, open access, right? Where you're not having to pay 50 plus dollars to read an article. Um, so yeah, I think that the gate and back to, you know, why is it sitting on a shelf life, you know, that sort of thing. We also have to remember who's gatekeeping these journals, like who, who are the people that are approving it? And I've always been taught that, um, when you submit a journal, it's like blind review. Um, sometimes I wonder if it is, and I'm not like trying to like dog academics at all okay like I some mm -hmm. of my favorite people are academics like and the people I look up to like you know but um we need to rethink and disperse the people that are gatekeeping articles mm -hmm. and journal entries and everything so I think um yeah there's so if you face a lot of some some of the same obstacles that you did, like for example, when visiting colleges and in, in that you know uh, publishing of research, right? Then that means that we're going to not see as many um, divert as much diversity in the published article space as we you know could, just because people are saying like, hey, this is not what good enough, or this is not it doesn't meet the standards, or what does that look like? Yeah, so I've seen it all from um, it's not. Uh, based enough in theory um, and it's like I mean I don't know how else I could say this and like I'd have to bring out like Spanish to say you know this what I'm saying in a different like I don't know how it can't be based enough in theory um, all the way down to um, it's not technical enough and ultimately and I've, I've always said this yes can, uh, offenders have to be somewhat technical technologically like familiar Sorry. yeah in order to like complete their their attacks right but tech is not changing so quickly that it, it tech doesn't change so quickly that it's like the tech that's doing it right ultimately in order to conduct an attack an offender has to somewhat socially engineer right mm -hmm. it comes down to the person just like you know people say like um like a gun can't shoot itself a computer unless you have programmed it to conduct x amount of attacks on this person that person a computer is not just going to go like conduct the attacks itself right so um that's that's something that i think that we need to think about <laughs> all right um so next question um now word on the street is that you are speaking at defcon Yes, yeah. at the Girls Hack Village. Uh, so without giving us too many spoilers, uh, what are you gonna be um, talking with us about? Um, so I'm gonna merge um, both the uh, victim aspect and also the offender. Um, I was just going to um, get into like the employment study uh, that I conducted. However, after completing my dissertation, I feel like there's some major aspects, um, even from like the offenders that are victimized that should be included in there just to, to show that like, it doesn't, I mean, like it doesn't matter how, how savvy you are with tech. I'm just as like easily liable to fall victim to an attack as anyone else. I just have to make sure to pay attention to those things. So, um, pointing out the um, risk online um, with our just day-to-day -day interactions. Um, in addition to that, um, how, how we can combat that, um, so. Yeah. Cool, that sounds like an amazing thing. Um, so for people who will be interested in, in getting PhD programs, what, what would you recommend that they, um, they do um, to kind of like go into that space, just based off of, you know, like, if you could tell your younger self, you know, what advice would you give um, to better prepare yourself for this this process? You know, I, I know that it's been, as you said, very difficult um, at times and like almost unbearable, but you know, how, how can you, what advice can you give to people who will be interested in, in doing a PhD at this point? 
So I definitely think you should visit. Um, visiting really did it helped me avoid <laughs> probably a worse <laughs> a worse um, the worst possible outcome for myself. Um, so visit the school that your schools that you're interested in. Um, also see who's on um, who's within those departments that you would want to work like underneath because that's the person that um, you're going to be spending a lot of time with. Um, so if you don't like what they're researching, um, you're probably not going to change them into a cyber criminologist. <laughs> so uh, there's that. And then also um, speaking to those that have been like through those departments, don't, um, don't be afraid to reach out. If you're like, oh, this person, you know, on LinkedIn, it says that they graduated from this program because oftentimes those people are going to be more willing to be honest with you about their experience. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions um, to people that do not go to like, like let's say once you get in right um don't be afraid to make connections with people outside of of your university um i know that oftentimes research one universities can be very elitist about oh we keep ours and we keep everything in-house and everything but um i'll tell you dr uh, reggae from temple has been oh, that's a dr reggae Yes, she, um, she has been incredible. Uh, she, there is no reason for her to want to invest in me as in a person, but if it wasn't for her and her guidance and her encouragement, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, and so be willing to be willing to, if you don't get into your favorite place with the person you want to study underneath, open to reaching out to that person still, because more than likely, I mean, she meet, meets with me weekly and there is no reason for that so other than she's a great person so there are and so that's I want to come back to there are really good people in this field there are people that want to see you succeed there are people that are rooting for you don't be so trapped into a negative situation or um, the way that things used to be because I know that like when I went through GSU they said, well, this is what I experienced, but I went through the PhD program. Well, that doesn't mean that everybody has to experience that, right? You can have, you can start a new path. You can have, I mean, the world's your oyster. And I know that you hear that and people say that, you know, growing up, but that's true. And there are people that want to see the field and at an individual level, like you succeed, um, but don't be afraid of reaching out and asking for help. Oh, oh. you're not gonna make me cry today. <laughs> Um, that's dope. So what, what does it look like um, on the other side of having your PhD? What, what, um, what is your, your next step? Um, and then my next question is going to be, what is your world domination plan? But I want to know, what is your next step now that you are officially uh, Dr. Cole? What's next for you? So I, um, the way that I, and this is like a new thing, apparently, um, I wrote my dissertation in like the three journal article um, type so I'm editing that to like publish in three different journals. Um, I'm also working on some, uh, another journal um, entry or article that like should have been done, but you know, I had to prioritize to get out with the PhD. Um, and Dr. Reggae has been helping me with that one. Um, and um, so, but right now, currently I'm interning with Homeland, uh, HSI, Homeland Security Investigations, um, here in Atlanta, and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, I would love, yeah, I'd love to um, work in government. Uh, ever since I was little, I know this is really weird, but like I was like five and I was like, I want to be a federal agent. I don't know where it came from, but I'm still, I thought it was going to be an attorney federal agent, you know, that type of thing, but we're, mm -hmm. we're making it right. And honestly, I love it more than, and again, no knocking at my husband, but based off of the stuff he does, I like it a lot more <laughs> than I think I would have liked being an attorney. Um, but so I'm in, you know, like in the process of seeing where I will end up federally wise. Um, but um, in the meantime, I, um, they let me come in and intern um, and I, I love it. Um, so I'm always like careful. I'm not sure what I can slash cannot say, you know, so I always like, like I'm on the side of, yeah, I just, I interned, <laughs> but um, I would like to mentor um, like in the next, 
I, I, I'm trying to give myself some like breathing room. Like I want, I want to enjoy this internship and I want to like take my time and not like take my time forever, but like take my time a little bit, you know, um, editing these journal articles and such um, and just breathe because for the past four years, I haven't re really been able to breathe. I um, have lost uh, three siblings during my um, PhD experience. Um, and one was like, cause you know, like I said, I was adopted. One was six months older than me. Uh, his name is Skylar and my daughter is actually named after him. Um, but, uh, that was maybe two months into my first semester of my PhD. Um, and so I would like to like to breathe from that, enjoy time with my daughter that I feel like I had to forfeit, um, to finish the degree. Um, cause I got pregnant during the first two weeks where they say this is going to be a two-week lockdown with COVID, right? <laughs> my husband and I, we have had just a wonderful time in higher ed <laughs> during this COVID, but she has been the light of my life, the light of our lives, and so um, I want to have a healthy work-life balance, and I'm not saying that all professors don't, but I think that sometimes it can get... Um, gray um, because I mean you're grading at home right and that's I think that's part of the reason why I'm attracted to like a government job and I know that sometimes you have to work over 40 hours and you know but you have to leave certain things at the office there's things that I can't come take back home as an intern right and so I think I like that balance so the the foreseeable future for right now is enjoy where I'm at. And for the longest time of my life, I've not enjoyed where I've, I'm at. I'm always like, when I was going through my undergrad degree, I was like, okay, so after undergrad, I've got to get into a master's and it has to be X program and it has to, you know, I have to do this. And then I'm in my master's and I should be celebrating my passing of my thesis. And instead I'm like, I have to get into Georgia state and Dallas has to get into Georgia state. And we have to, you know, like, and instead it's like, no, I'm going to enjoy this. So I have a party set up for myself in like a month. Um, but it's like, you know, just enjoy where you're at because you're, I'm afraid of getting to the end of my life and being like, I accomplished all these things, but for what? And that's, I don't want it to be for what I want it to be for I accomplished these things. These people were helped. This is how I encouraged other people. And if I didn't have this PhD and I didn't have anything, at the end of the day, I want to be known as a good person who treated people nicely. And that is one thing from my experience the past few years is that is most important to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and again, you're not about to make me cry today, ma'am. So, um, <laughs> uh, so world domination plan. Um, I know you mentioned the, the federal government, like what is like, Hey, I have achieved all that, you know, besides being a good person, you know, what is the end goal for you? Like, what is, what is, when you're saying shoot for the stars, what are the stars for you? I would love to work with them on cyber crimes. Um, like whether, and I want it to, I don't want to get stuck in pigeonholed. And then sometimes that can happen um, like within the federal government where it's like, oh, you're only working on, and it's not only working on, but like when you get into like a group, it's like child exploitation and that only, you know? And so I think that's great. And I want to help there, but I don't want to be seen as just like that only, um, especially with how uh, technology just like constantly like turns. I would like to, I would like to, pursue investigations where you don't know where it's going to take you. So like offenders who are not just operating off of like financial uh, incentives when they deploy like a sextortion scam, but also like the ideology behind it, right? Because I think if you um, compare the two together, money, ideology, that you'll be able to help more victims. And it to me, and this is why I like online fraud. When you have an online fraud case, right? It's not just like online fraud. Online fraud, the reason why so many offenders are in, like involved in it is because like in order to get your drug money, you also have to have online fraud to get the money laundered, right? In order to get the, you know, so it's like everything is interconnected. Oh, okay. So you're making money, you know, with child abuse images. Well, how do you get that? You got to have online fraud. I mean, you don't, have to but like a, a, a wise i'm not trying to teach criminality here but like research says that that's you know how how it sort of works right and so 
I would love to do something with the federal government involving online fraud because of the different ways and branches that um, so many of the, the cases go, so. That sounds like a, a dope plan. All right, so I'm going to open it up for questions um, for uh, Dr. Cole, if anybody has anything. Um, so certifications. So you say you do some pen testing, you've been doing your work and research, you've been in school for it sounds like a very, very long time. Um, do you feel like you're going to need to get any certifications um, to, to do what's next for you? I'm afraid I am. And that's what frustrates me is, and I understand it though, because I know there are some cyber criminologists that like, they just talk in theory and they don't know how to do anything. But um, when I'm looking at the price tag of things, I was talking to my husband the other day. I'm like, God gummit, did I not already pay my dues? Like, but <laughs> I'm thinking I probably am, but I was told to wait a little bit because somebody might be paying for it. Um, Cause you know, like, um, like I have a, a brother in the military, um, he's a Marine. And so he didn't have to pay for any of his certifications cause the military put him through it. So um, I'm, I don't think I will have a problem passing any of them because I, I know what I'm doing, but um, I, I do think probably I'll end up having to get a few certifications. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I understand. Um, we've actually got uh, a couple of partnerships in Black Girls Hack that um, you can get some certifications. So if any of them are through INE, um, we have discounts on both the uh, EC Council and um, uh, CompTIA as well. So like if I can help in any way, please feel free to reach out. Like you said, use your network. Don't be afraid to, you know, reach out and talk to people, you know, because they may be able to help you, you know, take over the world. Um, <laughs> any other questions? Um, any thoughts? Uh, Dr. Rega, you want to say anything? Yeah, um, Tessa, I just want to say that, girl, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I am so so, so, so proud of you. And I know what you've gone through. I know, right? And um, you mentioned I didn't have to help you or I didn't have to talk to you, but you know what? I, I, I did because I wish when I was a graduate student, somebody did that for me. And I know how important it is to just have someone that, that gets it, that understands it. And I may be 10 years ahead, sort of in my career than where you are, but I still wish I had someone to talk to, right? And it's a two-way street, Tessa. I may have helped you, but you have no idea how you've helped me. So, and, and it gives me great pride and joy to know that in some way, shape or form, I get to, to, to contribute you know, to creating that next generation superstars, right? That's what you are. Don't you ever, ever forget that. And don't let anyone ever take that away from you because you've earned it and you deserve it. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not gonna make me cry today. <laughs> Where's your journal article with your your husband? Um, it is not published yet. It's not out yet, but it's under review in uh, victimology and victim justice. So. Okay, and so you'll drop it with us. Uh, you'll send me a uh, the link to it so I can share with the squad once mm -hmm. you're you're done. And I will say I also have um, my master's thesis. I published it in um, victims and offenders, and I can send that to you too. That would be dope. And I will share it with the, the squad so they can uh, get some light reading. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out um, and hanging out with us today. Um, and everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Thank you.